Baseball 365 Podcast. And here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 47 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, here as always, and here with me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew McQuiston. Andrew, how's your? how are you doing and how was Thanksgiving? It was good. Relaxing. Uh, ate a lot and watched football. It was good. Yeah. Can you really think of a better day than that right there? Eating know, a lot right? of really good food and watching football? Yeah. Well, watching baseball. But <laughs> <laughs> I set that up for you and I fully expected you to say that. And yes, yeah. I agree. I actually yeah. don't think I watched a minute of football that day, though. Yeah, I didn't yeah, see I didn't... a minute of the games. So. I didn't watch all of it, but parts of them. On tonight's episode, Andrew and I are going to discuss the news from this past week, and we're going to look into the early NFBC ADP of the top 50 players. Andrew and I are going to talk about what we like and what we don't like from these early drafts so far. You know, We've talked a little bit about this last episode, but we're going to dive into the top 50 and break down a lot of them. But before we get into any of that, Andrew, my Rotomasters draft and hold draft is taking place right now. It's we started up last night and we did the uh, KDS Kentucky Dirt. Oh shoot, Kentucky Derby Kentucky Derby style. Yeah, that's it. Yes, we did it. Chris Winder set the, is setting this up and did a draft generator to determine who gets the first pick or who gets to pick their slot. And I got number fifteen now. <laughs> I made some jokes about how ridiculous that was, but I also have to admit that I've gotten the first draw on a lot of big drafts this last year, so maybe I guess I was due for one of these. Yeah, I was gonna say you've been you've been winning those, so <laughs> it doesn't all it doesn't happen forever. <laughs> you know what? If if I could work work it out to where I'm always either getting the first or the last pick in one of those KDSs, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the 12th slot, actually, as I, and we'll break that down here in a future podcast, but um, I kind of liked it as I knew I wasn't going to get one of the elite guys, but I knew I'd be on the back end, and if I'm not in the top three or five picks, I think that's where I'd be. So, I, Anyway, you have a lot more experience than I do in these drafting holds. Uh, do you want to give some advice for anybody else listening? I mean, you and I have talked, but anybody else who may be getting in a drafting hold, just what advice you'd give them? Uh, the main thing with draft and holds, I would just say, is position eligibility is more important. And I mostly say that because you only have your roster to work from. You don't, once the draft's over, I mean, that's it. You can't pick anybody up. And what ends up happening is injuries pop up and you have to fill slots. And it's a lot easier to do that the more guys that you have that have multi-position eligibility. Generally, I don't care that much about it, but in draft and holds, I feel like you have to. Um, Another thing is don't take too many prospects. You, what ends up happening is, and obviously we all love prospects, but if you take all the wrong ones, and what I mean by that is the ones that don't come up when you think or expect them to come up, what you wind up with is a roster of guys you can't put in when you have injuries or guys struggling or whatever. And the more options that you have, 
the better off you are, obviously. So that's another thing to think about. I'd always, I'd also make sure you have some semblance of saves covered. Yeah, that's hard when you're drafting yeah. this early. Right. Correct. Yeah. I, I know it's tough, and everybody's going to have to take flyers. I, w- I would want one that I at least felt good about and kind of go from there. But I definitely am not uh, the greatest at draft and hold. It's not my specialty, that's for sure. But those are things that I do think would help anybody that's playing. Yeah, one of the things you told me last year, you and I talked a lot last offseason as we had all the draft and holds going on in January with the Baseball 365 is and you had heard this from somebody else that basically almost draft like you're drafting two full lineups and that that being like if you've got two catchers it may be hard to have four catchers unless you're getting the backups the for the guys that you are drafted originally but to make sure you like if you're drafting nine pitchers to start you draft at least 18 because so many injuries and sent struggles and guys getting sent down that happens to where you're just looking for at bats there and you've given me that advice even though i didn't do well mostly because of the early draft struggles that was really helpful for me because i was able to go the entire year with being able to put a full lineup out there as compared to having empty slots which if that happens to you in a draft and hold which can happen also if you're taking too many prospects you can get stuck and you're just throwing out zeros out there and that's a good way to lose them yeah yeah definitely you you can get in a spot where you've got, say, out of your pitchers, you've got three or four of them hurt and three or four of them not called up yet. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're down seven or eight. And, you know, it, it gets tough. I mean, there's only so many roster spots. So, yeah, good advice there. All right, well, we're going to jump into the news next. And there's been a lot of stuff going on this last week since we recorded last, but. There was a prospect trade made last week, the day before Thanksgiving, and that involved Milwaukee sending outfielder Trent Grisham and pitcher Zach Davies to the Padres for Luis Urias and Eric Lauer. Now, it was seemed like it was determined that Urias is replacing Arcia at short, or if maybe he moves to second and maybe he could move to second and Keston Hero could get moved because they're both bad defensive players. That's really to, to be determined. We haven't heard anything for sure, but as for the Padres, I got to say, I don't really love this trade as much for them. They already had a bunch of outfielders, and Davies doesn't strike many batters out. So, Andrew, let's dig into this bit. For starters, let me ask you this. What side of this deal do you like better for the teams? Not on a fantasy pers- side, but just in real-life trade. Uh, I think it's pretty close. I probably slightly lean to the Brewers side of it, but it, you know, it's like one of those things. I think Urias is better than Grisham, but I think Davies is better than Lauer. So yeah, kind of evens out. I think it's pretty even. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do you think of the stocks in terms of fantasy stocks for Grisham and Urias? Are in terms of stock up, stock down, what do you think of those two guys with this move? Uh, Urias is, I think he's definitely stock up. I really don't see a way he's stocked down. I mean, he's going to a better hitter's park, uh, better lineup, at least for now. And 
a team that is going to play him. I mean, the Brewer or the Padres weren't playing him consistently enough. Not that they wouldn't have going into next year, but I feel like he's in a better situation. Uh, as far as Grisham, I don't know. I think it's close. Probably a bit of a downgrade, but just due to the fact that there's so many outfielders there. Yeah, it's it just seems weird that they'd trade for him, given how many outfielders they already have. Uh, you, do you think he's going to even get 450, 500 bats? Do you think he's going to get that next year? Like I don't if I know. was putting the over-under at 475 right now, which one are you taking? You're talking Grisham, right? Yes. I'd take the under, I'm pretty sure. I think I'm with you. Yeah, I'm not the biggest I'm not the biggest Grisham guy to begin with, so it it's a little uh it's a little tough, but yeah, it's just uh like you said, a team with all of those outfielders and I don't know. I kinda he's kinda one of those guys I just kinda wanna see him do it again and I don't know, call me not a believer, I guess, but I'm with you on him. I'm not really a believer either. I had a dynasty share of him a couple of years ago, and I think I just threw him back. And yeah, he had a really good year this last year. It's kind of weird. He was known as yeah. a little bit of power, a lot of speed, you know, should be a 25 steel guy. I remember hearing in 10 home runs, he turned into the opposite where now his speed seemed to be gone and hitting home runs like crazy for him. The, so the nice thing with him is, a lot of people who got him like in dynasty leagues probably got him pretty cheap. Oh yes. So you don't, it's almost kind of like everything's gravy at this point, but I just, I don't know. I don't feel like he's like this budding superstar or anything like that. So with you, um, I'm going to skip down in my notes to jerks and Profar because it kind of ties in that after trading Urias away, he was sent from the Padre or to the Padres from Oakland for catching prospect Austin Allen just here a few days ago. And he struggled mightily in his lone season with the A's, hitting 218 with 20 home runs and nine steals. But Profar's always been a low batting average and balls and play guy. I, I looked and his career is 257 is his batting average and balls and play. That's just incredibly low for a regular everyday hitter. But Last year, it was insanely low at 218, which was the same as his batting average. So I went and looked, and he's got an ADP in these early drafts of 358, which would put him somewhere like the 23rd, 24th round, just starting to get into the reserve rounds. Do you think he could rebound and would be worth that kind of investment now that he's with the Padres and should have a path to playing time? Yeah, yeah, reserve rounds. I think he's I think he's all right. I think it's about the right spot. Do you know his position eligibility offhand? I look on NFBC it just showed second base. Now I didn't dive in on okay. fan tracks and look at games, but it only had that on fan, NFBC, so I'm assuming that's true. NFBC has the I feel like it's the pretty standard rule where mm. it's 20 20 games for from the previous season, 10 games in season, 20 games to carry over like we have in the dynasty league. So mm-hmm. yeah, second base only I've got it pulled up now, but yeah, that was the I mean, nice so, part of him last year. He was first, second, third and short. Yeah. So 
Anyway, we'll just we'll see what happens with him. I mean, I think I agree the second base, and I could see him floating across that infield whenever the, if there's an injury that happens. He's a guy that can play a bunch of positions. But we'll move on, and the Marlins are actually after trying to trade him the last few weeks. Baltimore decided to release or de- um, designate him for assignment, or and that's not right. They did not. They chose to non-tender a con- not tender a contract to Jonathan VR. Uh, he made 4.2825 million this past season and was due a pretty decent raise, possibly clearing 10 million and Baltimore decided against it and just released him. So the Marlins jumped in and they worked out a trade for VR and it looks like he's going to um, play third or the outfield for the fish. That's what the Marlins president was saying today, or at least it, they said that he was going to get time there in the spring. So he could be moved all over the field. So he's going from Baltimore to Miami. How much of a difference do you think this makes for his value for next year? Very little. I don't think it changes it much at all. I actually, I think I mentioned it before, but I kind of like the idea of VR on a bad team just because I feel like if he's on a really good team, there would be a chance that he could lose playing time and in Miami, he's going to play, he's going to run, they're going to have to manufacture runs. You know, he, he's going to be able to do what he does, which is all that really matters in fantasy. I, I mean, it's probably unlikely to get any better than it was in Baltimore because he was awesome. But I don't know. I, I don't look at this like, oh, God, the Marlins, they're terrible, and it's bad for VR. I don't really see that. I I think it's a good thing that he'll have his role probably will hit in the upper, you know, top third of the lineup and do something similar to what he did in Baltimore. So I think it's fine. Yeah. I think Baltimore was best case scenario for him. But if you told me he was going to a different team, Miami's got to be right there in the top three to five in terms of best options for him to go to for holding as much value as he could. I mean, Kansas City, maybe if he if they had an open spot for him, that would be good. I they don't know if they do, but yeah, it's not as friendly of a ballpark. But right. outside of that, that's really it. Baltimore had a bad lineup last year. Miami, they might have a better a better lineup than what Baltimore was fielding out there last year. If not, it's close. Yeah, they're both pretty rough, but yes. like I, said, I, I think I'll, I think he'll be fine. The the Ballpark is a bit of a difference, but um, I don't think it like with a guy like VR, really all you want is for him to play and him to run. And if he if he's playing, he's likely running and the rest will just take care of itself. So he'll be fine. I, I agree. And we'll be talking top 50 ADP here in a bit. So we'll move on. And there's been a lot of players who've been non tendered this week. And Andrew, does it feel like it's been more than normal or am I just noticing it more as I'm prepping for podcasts and looking at these lists and writing them down? I'm, I can't figure this out. What do you think? Yeah, it does seem a little more than normal, but I don't know. It is. It seems like a lot. (sighs) I've got a list here. I went and made a list this afternoon of players who have been DFA'd and I'm just going to read them all off to you here. Travis Shaw, Jose Peraza, Blake Trinan, Addison Russell, Aaron Sanchez, 
Jimmy Nelson, Kevin Gosman, Mikel Franco, Kevin Pillar, Jose Aguilar, Taiwan Walker, Steven Souza, CJ Cron, D- Domingo Santana, and Tim Beckham Jr. I mean, you can almost field a full team with this squad, and this is a bunch of players who were fantasy relevant in the last couple of years. These guys were almost, I think, maybe every one of them was being drafted and or really close in just 15-team leagues that are not drafted holds, just 30-round drafts. And there's a lot to unpack here. And we'll talk about a lot of these players as t- new teams are signing them, but which of these players non-tendered sticks out to you as just someone to talk about here? Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like they're all really similar. I don't. Nobody jumps off of that list really at me. Um, it's definitely crazy to see Trine in there Mm. just because of the year that he had in 2018. I mean, he was arguably the best reliever in the game, you know? Yes. So it's kind of crazy. I mean, that was only, we're only a year removed from that, but, uh, yeah, most of these guys, I feel like they're pretty similar. The one that surprises me most is Taiwan Walker and yeah, he, was injured all of last year and he made it back for one inning at the end of the season. And maybe the Diamondbacks know more than we do in terms of they don't think he's going to hold up, but they got that year out of him in terms of, he seemed like as far as I knew, he was going to be ready for a normal spring training. And I'm just surprised they wouldn't want to take a chance, sign that guy and see if he can, if anything else, get them some trade value. I'm just, I'm really surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah. It is a bit of a surprise. And I also want to discuss Jesus Aguilar, not because he was cut, because he was terrible last year, but he was also great the year before. But I want to ask this question. Do you think the Rays are ready to hand the first base job to Nate Lowe? I have a dynasty share and would love to see that happen personally. Yeah, I mean, you would hope, right? I I would think that it's time for that. I. Who else do they got there? They've got uh, they've still got Choi, right? But he's playing mostly DH, I think. Yandi. Yeah, I think he's playing third. So is he a third? I was thinking he was getting some start, a lot of starts at first last year, but I could be been. wrong. And they also Rost- were throwing Travis Darno there. Roster resource has Yandi at third. Okay. Did they have Nate Lowe at first base on roster yeah. resource right now? Yeah. Yeah, they have Nate Lowe at first. I'd love 20, to see it. Nate Lowe, uh, Nate Lowe just got traded today in RM1. Oh, really? Do you yeah, remember was, what the package was? I'd love like to know. Two hours ago. It was uh, Nate Lowe and Malik Smith for Jose Abreu. Wow. Yeah, I uh, thought it was pretty, that's interesting. Thought it was pretty even. Yeah, I think so. Jose Abreu is a stud. Um, in terms of, I should, shouldn't should say a stud, but he's a really good player. And if you're trying to win now and you don't want to, you don't feel good about Nate Lowe and what he's going to do this year, I mean, that that's a good trade. I think that's a good trade for both sides, yeah. Yeah, agree. Okay. Uh, last piece of news, we got Kyle Gibson signing a three-year, $30 million deal with the Rangers. And Gibson struggled to a 4.84 ERA this past year, but 
He may have been unlucky. I was looking at the XFIP, and it was a full run lower at 3.8. You know, Texas got that new ballpark. We don't know what how that's going to play. I I hear people think that pink thinking that that could be better for pitchers than the previous park, but we just don't know. Do you think you'll be interested in Gibson as a late round flyer in drafts? No, not really. Nope. I I think that the only way I would be is if it was a draft and hold where I just felt like I needed innings and it was late. And, you know, I went with him because I think he'll probably pile up innings, but in a standard format, there's just not enough upside there, I don't think. And I'm not going to sit here and speculate too much on the park yeah, until they start playing games know. there. I keep hearing, you know, you keep hearing like the it's going to be more of a pitcher's park and all that stuff. But I don't know. I want to see it happen before I'm really buying into stuff like that. Kyle Gibson's whatever anyways. So it's kind the, of a, it's a weird landing spot for me. I'm just I'm not that interested. Didn't I hear that this new Rangers ballpark's going to have a retractable roof? Had you I heard that? I believe so. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. I believe that's right. That'll be interesting given it gets so hot down there. I wonder if that yeah. means whenever it's at the really hot parts of the summer, if they're going to be keeping that closed. Yeah, huh. maybe. It's hard to say. It's just uh, not something I think we know for sure yet until they start doing it, so. Okay, well, let's take a quick break, Andrew. And on the other side, we're going to get into some ADP talk. Sound good? Yep, sounds good. So when I took these notes, there had only been about 12 completed NFBC drafts so far. But, hey, at least this gives us something interesting to talk about. It at least gives us a set of rankings to look at in terms of what people are actually doing whenever they've got money on the line. So yeah. we'll start off with the top five here, and I'm just going to read them off, and then we'll bounce out, bounce around on here. But Ronald Acuna, so far, is the number one player in redrafts, which is how long has it been since Mike Trout's not been number one? Uh, Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while. It seems like every year there's one or two guys, and but it's still Trout. Like there's one or two in the conversation with him, but yeah, it's probably been I don't know six years. How long has he been in the league? It's really he came been in career. eight years ago, I think. Yeah. Huh. I think there was a point where a year where it was like Miggy and Trout, but that was probably 2013 or. Well, I can't remember exactly. I would imagine it's around then. By any chance, did you hear that horn go off? No. Okay. <laughs> I heard a horn go off, and I don't even know where it went off. But I'm on. I think I'm on. De- I'm up to pick in that draft and hold. But you're oh, thinking, you got him. You got to <laughs> mute it. Is it the Fantrax horn? Oh yes. Oh yeah, everyone's familiar with that. I don't know even know where that went off just now. That thing Weird. will give you a heart attack. <laughs> Okay, back on track here. Um, <laughs> I, uh, we got Acuna at one, then Trout at two, Yelich at three, Mookie Betts at four, and Cody Bellinger in five. And if I recall, we're both in on Acuna at one. And But Yelich, I wanted to discuss him after the Yelich injury. I'm pretty confident I'm keeping 
Trout at two and Yelich at three in my rankings. If it wasn't for that in- injury, I might have at least been considering. I don't. I think I still would have had Trout too. But four is where I think things get interesting for me personally. Mookie Betts and Bellinger with Bellinger at five and Bell- Mookie at four. And I think we discussed this recently, but I feel pretty good about Mookie being in the top five. But I think I'd... I- um, have him at five, and in my own personal ranks, I, th- I think I'd be moving Bellinger outside the five, six or seven or so. What about you? Uh, going back to the, the first three, I am not I, – I think that between Acuna, Trout, and Yelich, it is like totally personal preference. I yeah. have no – I have no issue with anybody – that wants to take any of those three. I've heard people discuss the argument for each one, and I think each one of them has a case. Trout is obviously the gold standard. He's been at the top for years. And Acuna is obviously the new guy on the scene and the steals and all that, but you know, there's some question a little bit, I think, with the re- the repeatability of steals uh-huh. to where if somebody has Acuna third, I think that's fine, too. In yeah. fact, I, I may even have him third in the end. I'm not sure yet. I think that these guys are just interchangeable. And my best advice would be just take the one you want. It's it's just such splitting hairs. I mean, um, at four. Yeah, I, I would take bets at four. I think he's uh-huh. solid there. But yeah, there's people that will take Bellinger or you know maybe Lindor, Trey. I know is a popular one. Any there's there's options for sure. But yeah, bets for me. I think at four for now. Some of this stuff I'm going to change my mind on probably over the course of the off season. But yeah, I think I'd have bets four. And yeah, we're talking early. We definitely reserve the right to change your mind. And there are guys. In, that we're going to get to that I've changed my mind already this off season. But do you think if you had the number five pick and the first four were chalk, are you taking Bellinger five? Right now, no, obviously no. you can change your mind. No, I don't think I am. I okay. think I'm taking, I think I'm taking Trey Turner. Yeah. And we'll get to but, him in a moment. Yeah. It's, it's close. I, th- like I said, a lot of this stuff, it's, it's like team construction and how you want to build. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing with Trout is I think if you believe that he can bounce back the steals, like if he can get the steals back, you have to take him number one. Agreed. I mean, he's the best hitter of these guys. I, I guess you could argue him and Yelich, but Trout's the better hitter pretty much. You know, it's just, uh Yeah. It's tough. I those guys like they're all interchangeable, and I think Betts's steals are more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Predictable or bankable than mm-hmm. the guys below him. I mean, aside from Trey, but he just gives you like that steady across the board. Where I would go with that, and then at five, it gets a little. I think it's a little tough for me, but I I may go Trey. It's it's hard to say. I'd have to be in that exact spot. I think Lindor's good, obviously, mm-hmm. and anybody that's taken Bellinger or Cole or these other guys, I'm not really batting an eye at really oh, any no. of them. Yeah. 
No. Uh, really, you could mix up a lot of 3 through 10, and I'm really not going to blink too much. It's just personal yeah. preference. Yeah. But that's why I'm asking you who you're taking. Not because I'm and so I'm giving mine cuz I'm again, there's no wrong answer. It's just what do you li- who do you like, who do you not like? The nice who are you thing least, li- least likely to take. The nice thing with Bellinger is the first base outfield eligibility. Yeah. That is really nice, uh, especially in like a draft and hold situation, but even just in a standard league too, the other guys, they don't have that, and he does. And first base is a little rougher this year than it's been in the past. I think we can kind of all agree on that. So it's uh, that's definitely a notch in Bellinger's camp for sure. I will say I actually like first base this year better than last as I'm looking at the draft. I feel like I'm seeing a few more names than I saw last year. Last year, I thought was just absolutely brutal, and it's still a weak position. But I think it's yeah. just slightly better, and I think guys like Pete Alonso has really helped with that, his emergence. But it's still, yeah, it's still a shallow position, and getting a first baseman is nice. Yeah. Um, the back half of the top ten, we got six. We got Garrett Cole, Alex Bregman, his former teammate at seven. Francisco Lindor at eight. Uh, Jake DeGrom. Jacob DeGrom's the second pitcher off the board at number nine. And Nolan Arenado, Mr. Steady, at number 10. So I'm just going to ask it this way. Out of those five, for where they're going, who's your favorite on this list? Probably Lindor. Uh, I don't have a problem with really any of them. The pitchers get pushed up a little bit. In NFBC, so I don't. There's probably not a ton of like standard leagues where you're going to see Cole go six and Degrom go nine. Maybe you will Agreed. in some, but it's uh, it's pushed up a little bit here. So, but yeah, I think Lindor. I mean, I even think you can make the argument for Lindor at four, but I think I have him at four. Yeah, and that's fine. I I think him and Betts, you could argue, but yeah, yeah. At eight, I mean, I'm definitely in. It's it's such splitting hairs with when it's uh, these spots. Obviously, these guys are all great, and they're all going to go in the first rounds. Agreed. Uh, of those five, do you have anybody who you like less than the others in terms of? I don't think I'd be taking him top ten. Probably Degrom. If I had yeah. to pick, yeah, yeah, I thought you might say that. Uh, he, he did at least perform. I mean, he won his second Cy Young in a row. But I get where you're coming from completely in terms of there's other guys and yeah, I don't, I don't. Ha- mine was Bregman. I'll just say mine. And I, it's not as much like I hate Bregman. He's a great hitter. Uh, awesome at taking walks. I walked more than he struck out, and he is a floor player to where you should feel secure, but. With the steals drying up, I think I'm taking Arenado before I'm taking Bregman in a draft, personally, just because Arenado, I know, is going to hit for power, and I just I don't think Bregman's going to be running hardly anymore until October, yeah. that is. And if yeah. that's the case, give give me the guy who I feel a little better about him hitting close the upper 30s and home runs. I could still see Bregman going, especially if they, like, the home runs dropping, especially if the ball, they make any change to the ball. I mean, he might go back to being a 30-home run guy. 
Yeah, there's really uh, there's really no spot where Arenado is going to go where I'm going to argue it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've said before he's he's the most consistent guy that there is besides mm-hmm. Trout to me. I mean, it's just so such a safe base of stats. Obviously, you're not getting the steals, but everything else is so good. It doesn't even matter. And him at 10, I almost feel like maybe a little low. But, yeah, it's just he's so awesome. Yes, he is. So, 11 through 15, we got Trey Turner, Juan Soto, two teammates back-to-back. Then we got Nolan's teammate Trevor Story. Then we got Verlander and Freddie Freeman. And we've already talked a little bit about Trey Turner at 11. Given how speed seems so hard to be fu- hard to find, this feels really low to me personally. Yeah, I can tell you right now, any draft that I'm in, I'm pretty. I'm not confident saying a lot here on December 3rd when the season is like four months away. But I'm pretty confident in saying if there is any draft that I am sitting at 11 and Trey Turner is there. It'll be like the easiest pick I make all off season. It's just too easy to me. If I pick sixth, I'm definitely taking Trey Turner if he's still there. Unless I should say if it's gone chalk. Yeah, I think I'd take him six. Yeah, that's eleven. Just seems like it's really low for a guy who seems real safe to be around 20 home runs. And if he's healthy all season, he should be pushing close to the upper thirties, 40 steals. And I still think there's even another level. I wouldn't shock me if he still went out and sold 50 another season. Yeah. I, I I think there's a world where he's 20 to 25 and 50 steals. I mean, I'm not predicting it necessarily, but uh, he's pretty much the exact package that, you want that's like a unique skill set that you can build around and still get your power later and all of that stuff. The the only uh, somewhat negative, I guess, is the shortstop. Just the fact that shortstop's so deep, but that's nitpicking. I mean, he's such a safe base for those steals and everything else. I mean, he's not a zero in power and been hitting the ball harder and he's just ridiculous. So. I definitely like him of these five guys. As soon as you started talking about Trey, I thought of that word, the, those words, unique skill set, because we were using that a lot last offseason yeah. with a couple players. And Trey is definitely the captain of that ship of unique skill set. Yeah, you're, you're always trying to, at least for me, I'm always trying to find guys that I can't find later. Always. Like, no matter if it's the first round or the fifth round or the 10th round or the 15th round, you know, anybody that you can get, if there's, there's so many times where you hear, well, why take this guy in round four, if I can take that guy in round 10. And sometimes it, it, uh, it does, you know, take care of itself in a way, but um, I just don't see any Trey Turner's or Trey Turner light or whatever you want to call it later on. It's like, there's one. And yep. it's him, you know. So, yeah, our good just, buddy, our our good buddy Walter McMichael. I'll never forget his tweet this last April because Trey had an injury and missed some time. That's when Keyboom came up not too long afterwards, and um, he tweeted something along lines of, "Here are the list of replacements to give you what Trey Turner was giving you," and then it was nothing below it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
that, that's yep, the truth. Pretty much. You just can't yeah. find guys like that. Yep. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. So if you're Juan Soto or Trevor's, Trevor Story, which one do you want more? Man, tugging at my heartstrings there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in fantasy, I want Story. Yeah. In a, in like a one year redraft league in 2020, I yes. think I want Story. Dynasty holds like story. yeah. Long term, it's not it's not even comparable. I mean, I take Soto every day, but yeah, Story's Story's up there. I would definitely have him higher than 13. Yeah. Agreed. He's he would be in my top ten. I think we yeah. discussed at one time him or Arenado and trying to figure out which one you take. And I know at that time I was leaning story over Arenado, but you know, again, it's not a huge deal. There's a lot of good players. I mean, I'm taking him ahead of Bregman. I think if it, if I'm really thinking about it, I'm taking him over Bregman even. So yeah. we talked. I don't, we, I don't have any ahead. issue with. I was just going to say I don't have any issue with Story going six seven on mm-hmm. down. If that's a guy, you know, if that's what you want. I mean, he's five category production in course. It's hard to argue with. Uh, finally, I wanted to f- talk about Freeman. He's one who hasn't, we haven't talked about much this year. And he was a stud this last season with a 295 average. His OBP was up at 389 with 38 home runs, 113 runs, and 121 RBI. He has a real nice lineup around him. And as we were previously saying, first base is thin. But speed is also at a premium, which he doesn't provide but just a handful of steals. Do you feel comfortable taking Freddie here at the wheel? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's about right. I wouldn't take him much earlier, but I think it's about right. I agree with you there. I think the wheel is about the right spot, and I'd gladly take him if he slipped from there. So, yeah, we're on the same page. Okay. Yeah. Good, we'll move on good to four, good four category base. I mean, yes, yes. I mean, he's right there. I mean, you could say that he's just kind of like just a little a tick behind Arenado in that re, in that way as a four category stud who you can count yeah. on. I mean, his homers have fluctuated a little more than Arenado's have, but everything else is steady. Yeah. Sixteen through twenty, we got Max Scherzer, Fernando Tatis Jr. Walker Bueller, Jose Ramirez, and Anthony Rendon at 20. And I got to say, of all the list of fives, this one seems like the one where there's a lot to dive into here. And I'll just start with Max. He's been the number one pitcher in drafts for the last few years since he took that torch from Kershaw. And he's third on these ranks. But personally, I think he could still be the number one pitcher off the board. And if I saw that, I wouldn't blink. I probably would take Cole before him, but... I wouldn't really blink if someone took him over Cole. And one thing is that Garrett's going to be pitching in a new city and ballpark next year. And I definitely, I think I'm going back to Scherzer bouncing around here. I think I'd be taking Scherzer over Verlander personally. Yeah, I think it's close with those guys. I would, I would definitely take Cole first. Um, Scherzer, Verlander, tomato, tomato, whatever. I think it's coin flip. Take the guy you want. What about DeGrom versus Scherzer? Since you didn't really love DeGrom in the top pretty, 10. They're all, th- they're all pretty close. 
Agreed. I think you can. Yeah, I think you can argue for any of them. Okay, well, time to talk Fernando Tatis Jr. And I've gone back and forth on this guy. I was pretty outspoken the last few months, thinking that I was not wanting any part of him because of that 4.10 batting average on balls in play and a strikeout rate that was near 30, right at 30 percent. But you had some compelling arguments in favor of him early, and. Sure enough, we'll get to it later, but I took him in the second round at like pick 19 in the draft and hold league we're doing right now. But why don't you share your compelling arguments that that they swayed me? Well, uh, I'm not positive if I will be drafting Tatis 17 overall. Uh, One thing I'll say is I tend to play a more high-risk game than a lot of people. Um, I'm just, I feel comfortable taking risks and taking shots and feel like I can fill in the gaps where I miss. Um, It's just a personal thing. I feel better about it than I think most people probably do. This is steep for him, but what I will say with him is It will not surprise me if we're sitting here in a year and he's coming off a 35 home run, 25 to 30 stolen base season. It just, it just won't. And if you think that's crazy, that's fine. What did he have? I think 22 and 16 this past year. And he was like that and he missed a good chunk of time. If I recall, you played almost exactly a half a season, 84 games. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those things where like, what is, and I've mentioned this before too, because I know that people who aren't in on this are thinking, oh, this is such a risk and all that. But like, what is the real risk with Tatis? Like, what is his floor? And I would argue I would argue his floor, if he plays, you know, and you're assuming 140, 150 games, whatever. I mean, with these guys, I don't think he's any more likely to get hurt than anybody else. I think it's pretty comfortable to put him at like 20 to 25 homers and 20 steals if he plays a full season as a floor. Right. That right there is what sold me. Yeah, and I, I just don't think like the word this guy's hitting at the top of the lineup on an improving team. He's got the pedigree. He hasn't done anything to give us a reason to doubt him, other than he just hasn't been up as long as the guys ahead of him on this list. But yeah, I mean, if we're sitting here in a year and he's a top five pick, I swear I won't even be surprised at all. It just won't surprise me. And if he and- disappoints, you know, he probably as a disappointment, he's probably performs as like a third, fourth, fifth round pick. And that will, that will hurt you, but I don't feel like it'll kill you, you know? No. And I don't know. I just feel like that's why I don't have a problem with it. I'm not saying I'm going to do it. Like, I don't think we're going to get to the end of draft season and I'm going to be like, I got six redraft shares of Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. But when he's picked in my draft, I'm going to be like, I get it because I, j- I just do. Yeah. And you convinced me. I'm not saying you, like you said, you're 
not saying that you're definitely doing it, but listening to your story about the floor, and I got to thinking about it this last week, and my draft, it came to me, and I saw what was there, and I'm like, you know what? I think I'm okay with this. It's like Judge taking Judge in the second round. He's going to be a guy that's going to have a high K rate, but the floor is really high if he stays healthy. And you could yeah. say the same thing about Tatis. And he can take yeah. walks. It's yeah. not an, an elite level, but 8% in his first 80 games as a 20-whatever-year-old. Was he 20 last year? He's 20 now. Yeah, 20, 20 yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's imp- I'm with it's you impressive. On it's definitely impressive. It's it's one of those that that one won't be for everybody. I mean, there will be pretty hard, you know, camp in favor of it and not in favor of it. And I, I see both sides is all I'm saying. So, Okay, well, let's get moving on because we got more to talk about. Walker Bueller next. He's been one of your guys, and he was awesome last season. And that surprised me because – what was surprised me was that he made it to 182 innings pitch last season. I was pretty vocal on these podcasts early on that I didn't think he was going to get to that kind of level that that deep into the season, throw that many innings, and he did. So he feels like a pretty solid fourth pitcher off the board here. What are your thoughts on him? Do you think would you have him as your fourth pitcher? You think right now? Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's about right. Yeah, I agree. I, uh, Definitely love Bueller. Love watching him pitch. I have a dynasty share. I've followed him since he came up. I ex- I've been expecting a Cy Young at some point. Maybe it's this season, but yeah, he's right there with the best of them. So yeah, Cy Young wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Really, he just needs to get himself up to 200, 210 innings. And after throwing 182 last year, that's with well within reach. Okay, well, we've talked Jose Ramirez a few times in the last few months, and I just want to say that Steamer has him projected for a 277 batting average with 31 home runs, 23 steals, and right near 100 runs and RBI. And if he does anything close to that, he's a steal here at 19 overall. What do you think of the ADP here for Jose? I think it's fine. I think it's about right. Um, never been the biggest fan of him, but he definitely can do it. I mean, he he can perform in all five categories and is obviously proven and a really good hitter. So, yeah, there's something about him that I have doubts with. I, I think it's to do with the steals and uh, just wondering – when those are going to go away. There hasn't been any real signs of it, but I said it forever with Goldschmidt and eventually happened. And I kind of feel that way with Jose Ramirez, but it may not be this season. And if he's providing 20 to 25 steals, he's going to be awesome because he's going to hit and, you know, everything else will take care of itself. So right now, Tatis or Jose Ramirez? Flip a coin. Okay. So pretty much just yeah, take I the can't. guy. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, you're I, pretty much saying they're even. Yeah. I think I might go Tatis. I don't know. It's close. <laughs> it's close. It's close. I hope I remember that question and can ask you that again in February. Because that's a, it's that's definitely, a fun one. I, I, Ramirez is 
probably the safer play. And I He's think the safer play. I think Tatis is probably the more likely to explode. So it kind of just depends on your flavor there. Okay. We're going to try to breeze through these next. Uh, we're going to do these in groups of 10 and try to breeze through it a little more because I went a little more in depth on the top 20. But do you want to do Rendon? Okay. 20. Oh, I actually didn't have much on Rendon. I'm just going to move on. Do you have oh. any thoughts on him? Anything you want to say? No, I just figured he was in that group and we just kind of skipped over it. But Rendon at 20, yeah, I think it's fine. Not yeah. really much to, much to say. I, he's a stud hitter, ain't he? He is a stud hitter. I don't think I'd take him at 20. I think he's coming off the career year and moved up. Yeah. And I think personally, I don't love it, but I'm not going to sit here and say it's a bad pick. I just think I'd want to yeah. see him perform at that level one more time before I'd want to invest uh, early yeah. top half of the second on him. I'm kind of with you. I, I I will say if he drops much past that, though, I'm in. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fine. It, that pick is – it won't be something that hurts you unless he gets injured. And as I list off 21 through 30 here, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a crazy that he's going ahead of a lot of these guys. 21 through 30, we got Rafael Devers at 21, Glaber Torres at 22, J.D. Martinez, 23. And number 24, we have Jack Flaherty. Number 25 is Mike Clevenger. 26 is Aaron Judge. 27 is Jonathan VR, the new Miami Marlin. 28 is Pete Alonzo. 29 is Shane Bieber. And 30 is Steven Strasburg. And, Andrew, we are discounting VR maybe a little bit from getting released, but now that he's with Miami, I don't think that – I don't know about that, but I don't think he drops down near as much as I originally was thinking. But let me just ask it to you this way. Of these 10, who's your favorite and least favorite guys for that list in terms of where they're going? Uh, Favorite, I'd probably say I still like Judge quite a bit. Uh, especially if it's in an on-base percentage league, obviously, but he's probably going higher than this and that. Uh, Devers is good there, and I like Strasburg. I think that's well noted. I It is probably not a spot where I'd take him too much higher than that, but yeah, I think uh, most of these guys are fine. I think Glaber's a little high, personally, but... Probably just has to do with the lack of steals and middle infield, kind of a spot where you need that, stuff like that. But just little team construction stuff. I I don't have any major issues with any of these guys. I think uh, VR would be will be slightly polarizing. There will mm-hmm. be people that are in. There will be people that are in here and people that aren't. Um. But yeah, most of these guys are fine. Bieber's a little high for me, but. I cringe looking at these 10 and thinking of them going in the back half of the middle or back half of the second round. There aren't many that I love from this list. Hence why I was saying when we were talking about Rendon, I just, I don't know. There aren't any of these guys. I'm like, I love Aaron judge is my favorite. I I like Aaron judge at 26. I would definitely be in on that. And JD Martinez old steady JD Martinez at 23. But I don't know. I, when I look at this list, I see a lot of guys that, are coming off really good seasons that you're buying high on. And I'll tell you I'll tell I, you right now, 
I'll tell you right now, I'd take the guy at 31 over most of the guys in that 10. Completely agree. And <laughs> my, uh, before we get there, I'll just say my least favorite of that group of the list is Bieber also. I'm just, no, I'm not buying him right there. I'm, I just, that we'll, we'll get into him more this offseason, I'm sure, as we circle around. But yeah, that's by far my least favorite. So 31 through 40. As you were just saying, 31 is Mr. Bryce Harper with the Phillies. Jose Altuve, 32. At 33, we got Starlin Marte. 34 is Blake Snell. 35 is Jordan Alvarez. 36 is Xander Bogarts. 37 is Javier Javier Baez. 38 is Austin Meadows. 39, another polarizing guy, Adalberto Mondesi. And number 40 is George Springer. And... Andrew, when I look at this list, the top two names on 31 and 32 stick out to me the most, and that's Harper and Altuve, two former first-round picks who actually both of them were in argument at one time going number one overall with Trout, who've now slipped to the third round. So of those two, if they're both on the board, who are you taking first? Harper. Okay, I'm with Um, you. I do like Altuve here, too. I like Altuve in the third round. Um, Yeah, I definitely like Harper. I'd take Harper in the second, probably the middle of the second. And I I probably wouldn't even have a huge issue taking him early in the second. Um, Said it before, I think the hate is a little over the top. He went 35-15 last year, and the entire season, all you heard was how bad he was. So what's (laughs) going to happen when he's good? I mean... It's just kind of crazy to me. But, yeah, I definitely like Harper. Uh, I love Springer at 40. Yes. Absolutely love him. Um, He's just so, so good and at the top of the best lineup in the league. And runs scored. I always feel like runs scored is uh, probably the most underrated stat. And he gets a ton of them. I say the same thing next group with Blackman. It's like the same type of thing. Those guys just pile on runs scored because of the lineups they're in. They're hitting at the top. I mean, you can't always just assume they're going to hit in a certain spot in the order, but they have been there for a while now, so it's kind of tough not to assume, I guess. But uh, as far as my least favorite here, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm in on Jordan at 35. Just because, and I mentioned this yesterday, I think it was in the group. Um, If you like Jordan at 35, why wouldn't you just take Nelson Cruz at pick 100? Mm -hmm. Which is basically where he's going. I don't really, like, I would love to hear the argument for why you take Jordan Alvarez at 35 when you can take Nelson Cruz at pick 100. Yeah. That's a hard argument to make. Yeah. It's a very good so, point. Yeah. And when I say stuff about finding the guy later that can do, you know, what the guy doing in this spot can do, that was kind of one of the ones I was thinking about, actually, because it just came up yesterday. Yeah. I'm by the totally way, by the you. way, I love I love Jordan. It's nothing against, you know, it's just the price. I, I think he's legit and I think he'll be really good and all those things. So. Um, 
My the one I really like out of this list also is Marte at 33. I've come around on him as he runs an RBI were up this past year, and that was a guy that was the thing on him is he never seemed to be getting enough runs and RBIs, but it was better this last year with a I guess Josh Bell exploding, and I feel a little better about him than I did before. And my least favorite personally is a guy I was kind of neutral on last year, but he really helped me in 2018, and that's Blake Snell. He struggled last year, and although I think that he had a lot of bad luck in the ERA department, I don't think there's enough of a discount for him now between the struggles he had and the injury from last year. I'm I'm going to pass on him at this price personally. Do you? I, I, yeah. I know you were kind of low on Snell last year for where he was going. What are your thoughts on that 34 price? Yeah, I think I'm with you. Um, it does seem like it should be discounted more. I feel like one thing with the with the Marte, uh, you were bringing up Starling Marte. I I've always kind of felt like with him too that I'm just waiting on the steals to drop off the table, mm-hmm. and yeah. that that's what worries me. It's nothing against him; he's actually been a stud. I mean, you can't even argue with what he's done. It's just a lot of it's forecasting too. You know, you have to not only take what's happened, but what you think is going to happen next. And uh, I tell you, man, when Starling Marte's steals drop off, it's going to hurt because he yes. doesn't have elite power. I think he's hit 20 home runs once mm-hmm. and he's in his thirties now. So those steals can drop off at any point. And when you take his steals away or you cut him in half, you're looking at a lot less interesting of a player. Just something and- to think about. His old teammate Andrew McCutcheon's a great example, and McCutcheon has more power than Marte does. And yeah. look what it did to McCutcheon over the last five, six years. Yeah. Another guy I just want to touch on, too, that I feel like I've always underrated is Bogarts. Um, I heard some good stuff on a, another podcast about his counting stats and his hard hit and every just all kinds of it's just uh, there's not a lot of guys that do like the across the board and you can bank on like the runs and RBIs like you can with him. I feel like he's in a really good spot in a really good lineup in his prime. Um, it may not be a guy that I wind up with, but I think 36 is pretty good for him. Yeah, he does get the counting stats. I don't I, I feel a little weird about it, but. I also, it's it's not like I look at a lot of these guys below him and think, okay, I'd be taking that guy above him. I'd, I'd be taking Springer above him, I think, but that's probably it in terms of the rest of that list on the through the thirty-one through forty. How do you? What do you think of Mondesi this year? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, in our drafted hold, Benny and Ryan took him, and I thought it was great because they took forty-four. Yeah, and they took 44. And they took Freeman and Arenado with the first two picks and I thought it just made a lot of sense. I don't I don't know what to take of it. I think he's probably going to continue being really good for a few years and this might be a really good pick right here. If he he's got the shoulder thing, can he stay healthy? But if he is staying on the field, I think this I hate guys that strike out as much as he do does and don't walk at like a sub 5% rate, but he's keeps hitting the ball. He's hard hit rates, incredibly good. 
the steals, I mean, it's hard to argue at, at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I'm not as against it as I was last year. I, I think the leash is pretty long. I mean, how much would he have to struggle to get pulled from the lineup? I don't know, you know, it's just – but uh, that said, I don't love it either. I mean, I'm just kind of meh on it. But the steals are valuable. So, he, I mean, he could lead the league in steals. So, yeah, definitely have to take that into account. Yes. I, think he, I think he missed – I think he finished second in the league in steals. I'm pretty sure he had 43. And I think he was right behind Malik's. And I think he missed 60 games. I think he played yeah, 100. exactly 100, 60. Yeah, I think he played 102, yeah. So yeah. that's incredible. I still think yeah. everything I said last year's in play. I could see him struggling and get like if the the if the batting average on balls in play is not so fortunate, he's striking out. I mean, he struck out twenty nine point eight percent of the time last year. That's even a, that's really high. And but and if he's not walking, that OBP starts sitting at two seventy, two eighty, which is possible yeah. for him. I think he could get yeah. moved to the bottom of the lineup, but. I think it'd take a lot for him to get demoted. And that's, yeah. that that I thought was more in play last year. Yeah, the runs in RBI could be a little bit rough, especially when you are got him sitting next to a guy like Bogarts who, you know, he could go 100-100. Yes. So. Okay, well, let's touch up on these last 10 here. Keitel Marte at number 41, Charlie Blackman 42, Chris Sale at 43, Keston Hira at 44, Ozzy Albies at 45, Patrick Corbin at 46, uh, 47 is Aaron Nola, 48 Whit Merrifield, 49 Chris Paddock, and number 50 is Mr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So there is quite a bit I wanted to touch on in this one because there's a lot of interesting names here, but... Um, Marte versus Blackman, they're back-to-back. I think I already know the answer to this, but which one you got? Blackman, all day. Yeah. The guy that's been steady and actually been producing for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. And you, you've already given your case kind of for Blackman. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's. Uh, but, well, I think Marte had 10 steals. He'll probably get more steals than Blackman, but – I'm not comfortable saying he'll get anything else more. Yeah. You know, that do anything else better. I mean, average power counting stats. I just trust in uh trust in Blackman with that. So Yeah. Keitel exploded and it kind of felt like it was out of nowhere last year. I mean, he did hit for a little more power the previous season, hit fourteen home runs, but to go from fourteen to thirty two, that's just that's insane. And if they change that ball, he could be one of the guys that really takes a step back. So um, here's a tougher one, I think. Albies versus Keston here are also going back-to-back. Which of those two would you rather take? Albies. Yeah. And uh, I like Hira, too. But I love Albies. Uh, I've kind of been on the record for the last year year and a half that i think there's a season coming where it's like a lindor type season from him i still believe that he's super young he's dynamic he can do it all i mean it's just 
this guy is going to be a first round pick soon. I feel it, but um, not quite there with Hura on that. So I would take Albies, but I have a irrational love for him. We all know that. So. <laughs> I took Albies over here in that draft and hold, and I think I feel okay about that. I mean, I think they're really close personally. I don't yeah. really have a big problem I, with one or the over. I think Hura is a really good hitter. I I think that some of the difference for me is I, I feel like there's more stolen bases that could be unlocked with Albies. They haven't quite been there yet, but uh, I just think there's more speed and everything else is pretty much there. So, I think Hura's got a little more pop. I think Albies got a little more speed, but um, the thing that really stuck out to me Albies moved his walk rate up to 7.7%, which was huge for him considering it was barely over five the year before. But Albies is only striking out at like a 16, 17% rate the last couple of years. And here it was pushing 30 last year. And that's, that's really the difference maker for me. I'm going Albies over here just for the little more safety in the batting average department. And Vlad Jr. He was going in thirties in redrafts last year. Now his ADP this year right now is at 50. You and I were both all in on taking him in the third round last year, and it didn't go well. Are you doubling down and taking him here, third, fourth round, if he's there in the late 40s? Uh, I think it's about right. Definitely was a tough year. Um, I still feel like that he will eventually be a first-round type player. But I'm not sure it'll be this year. So mm-hmm. it's um, it's kind of hard to say. You know you're not going to get steals. Yes. So it pretty much is power and average. But the thing with that, with him, is I think he can do power and average. A lot of times... A lot of times I question one or the other, you know, especially if you're locked into not knowing you're not going to get the steals. It's like if you know you're not getting the steals, you have to have both to really be, you know, to really be impactful. You have to Mm -hmm. have power and average. And I definitely think he can do it. I mean, it's uh, it was, like I said, definitely a tough year last year, but he's 20 years old in the major leagues. I mean, I'll I'll cut him a pass for it. Yeah, he needs to go Miggy on the league. That's what what he needs to do to get into that first round. But he's capable. Yeah, he's definitely capable. Anybody else here you want to discuss? Man, I uh, I really like him, but I am not comfortable taking Paddock here. No, I like either. him a lot. I like him a lot as a pitcher and um kind of his whole rise at the beginning of last season I felt like I saw some of that coming but uh, top 50 I don't know I don't know if I completely trust the innings and I think he's one of those guys that second go round yep it could get a little messy potentially I mean he's still really good but I don't know this just kind of jumps out, out at me as something that it's going to be hard to turn a real profit on this pick. I, I don't really like it. I, I've been a little out on Corbin in the last year to two years, but I don't mind him here. I heard a stat the other day that he's the only, or he's one of, I believe it was six 
pitchers that's been an SP1 each of the last two years. And the other five are like DeGrom, Scherzer, Verlander, you know, the cream of the crop, top, top guys. So Corbin's fine. Um, and yeah, these other guys, Sale, we've, we kind of talked about on the last show. He's mm-hmm. risky and not for everybody. And I'm definitely out on Keto Marte in this spot too. But um, yeah, just some of my thoughts on those. What do you yeah. think of Wit? What do you think of Wit? You know, he fell a little bit in this draft and holding. They got to me, and I was thinking about him in that fourth round, I think, ish. And I started looking at him, and I've really dove into him, like looking at his fan graphs page, and I thought, nope, I'm not doing it because I could easily see him being a like a 15 15 player this year 15 home runs, 15 steals. And I just, I don't feel comfortable enough. I don't think it was bad to take him there. But I just I think I'm out on wit because I the steals just fell so much last year. Yeah. I I don't think I want a fifteen fifteen guy at this point, especially one on the Royals. Yeah, you have to be careful with the guys that their value depends on the steals, mm-hmm. or at least or at least a good chunk of their value depends on the steals, because if the steals dry up. It's just it's it's really tough and it and it's hard to predict sometimes. I mean, I tend to think of it in uh combination with their age, and that's probably not always the right thing. You know, I mean I I'm not saying it's like a blanket statement. Once you're in your thirties, you're not gonna run, and once you, and when you're in your twenties, you will. It's it doesn't work like that, obviously, but sometimes when the guy gets to be about where Wit is, like thirty, thirty one, I just start thinking like, man, what if those 22 steals dropped to 14 you know and then yes just doesn't look as good it just doesn't and you have to factor all of that in in my opinion when you're thinking about these guys like like i said starling Marte, wit um altuve has been that way previously goldschmidt previously stuff like that because when they drop off then it just changes their value quite a bit Completely with you on that. And that's why, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he went out there and stole 20 to 25 still this year. Right. I think right. that's what Steamer's got him projected for. But I just, I see that as a ceiling now. I just don't see him being a 30 plus guy after seeing him dip, dip off so much last year. Unless yeah. there's an injury that we find out about, which I don't think there was. And I just think 15's in the cards and that drastically changes his value. Yeah. The tricky, the tricky part of it too, though, is you need steals. Yes. So it's like sometimes you have to, you have to take shots on those guys that they will keep it up for another year or, you know, possibly even go up. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely tricky. The steals guys are getting less and less, and they're getting pushed more aggressively in drafts as a result of it. I'm definitely hoping that I can get a hero or an Albies before a wit long before like I'm out I feel much better because I at least feel like Albies and Hira they're going to be 20 plus home runs with those steals yeah. that I think could be in the same range as wit and yeah. that that just makes it a little easier to swallow you get 25 15 is a lot better than you get someone going 15 15 that just that's not a third round fourth round player yeah for sure Okay, well, let's take a break, and then we're going to talk about a few dynasty trades we've made the last few weeks and close this show out. Sound good? 
Sounds good. Well, Andrew, I know it's been busy in my dynasty leagues the last few weeks. I've been making moves in both dynasties, more in Rotomasters too. But I want to ask you first, have you made many trades this offseason so far? We really have I don't think we've talked about any of them. Yeah, I've made a I've made a few. Um traded uh in Rotomasters two, just little ones, nothing really major. Um I traded Jeremiah Jackson, the Angels prospect for John Birdie from the Marlins. Um, obviously, the getting VR possibly could wind up hurting that, but uh, I don't know. I felt like it low risk on my end too. And mm-hmm. uh, I, what I like about him is third base, shortstop, outfield eligible. I like having guys like that on my bench. Um, just real versatile and you can plug in and obviously can provide speed at, had 17 steals last year and partial season, but he's going to have to get the playing time. So we'll see on that. I, it's kind of, uh, just a guy that I like stash, but nothing major. I, I had another small trade where I moved up a few picks in the sub draft and traded, uh, Austin Voth for like a third rounder. Um, yeah, like I said, nothing, nothing like you over there, Mr. (laughs) Mr. What was it? Like five trades the other day in one day. (laughs) And I'm not to to anybody listening. I'm not exaggerating. It was probably five in one day. I think I made three. If I looked right on Rotomasters two, I made three on Sunday and then one on Saturday. Okay. Okay. But still, I guess I I guess I was, I guess I was exaggerating (laughs) Well, you weren't exaggerating. You thought it legitimately was five, and it felt like yeah. it, especially because I had many other conversations going on Sunday night. And But, um, yeah, Rotomasters 2, I've been very active. I feel like my window to compete was getting close, and going into this offseason, I was going back and forth on whether I wanted to push and try to get some veterans and get in the money or try to wait another year. But a couple weeks ago, I was negotiating with the Kershaw owner who was – floating them around and I ended up sending um, some George Valera, Mr. Big Upside Prospect, uh, 29, the guy who popped up this last year, Alexander Canario and a third to get Kershaw. And once I did that, I decided, well, I guess now that I've traded for Kershaw, it's time to get busy. So I got, I filled out the back of my rotation pretty quickly afterwards, just, Trading for a couple veterans for mid-round picks. I got John Lester and Adam Wainwright. And this last weekend, I got busy again because I didn't have a single player on my entire 50-man roster who would be eligible to play first base next year. So I've been very aggressive trying to talk to people about getting a first baseman, some of the guys who have got two solid first basemen. And I ended up trading away Jorge Polanco and Carter Keboom and I got Jose Abreu and D Gordon, so continuing to get older on my team. And then on Sunday, I made three other trades. I continued filling out my rotation, and I gave up a lot of players to get a couple pitchers. I gave up Ryan Mountcastle, uh, Leo Di Tavares, Manny Margot, Jordan Adams, Josh Van Meter, 
and I think I gave him a, I, we, I, we both had a pick in there. I got an upgrade on a pick, and I got Masahiro Tanaka and injured pitcher Jamison Tyon, who's going to miss this, I think, the entire year with Ho- Tommy John surgery, unless he makes it back in September. I don't think he's pitching this next year. So that was a big one. And then I made a couple other small trades, dealt away Kevin Smith and a pick downgrade to get Kevin Kiermeyer after trading away a lot of my um, couple, couple of my hitting outfielders that are in the majors. And then I finally dealt Tyler Maley away, and I think I got a slight upgrade in a third-round pick. So I made some big moves and small moves in there. I'm just trying to fill my roster out, trying to compete with your big bad roster. <laughs> but it's weird. I've been playing Dynasty Leagues for the last, I think this is my fourth year of, or 2016 was my first Dynasty season. And this is the first time I've bought veterans in an offseason like this. Hopefully it works out. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, there's there's nothing nothing wrong with it. You got to go for it at some point, right? You do have to go for it. And I've really, like, I've got a, I had a really good farm system going into this offseason. And I feel like I haven't dented it too bad. I've given away a lot of the depth on the like the 50 to 150 prospect guys. I've given up a ton of those guys. And I gave up a couple guys that are top 50. And Keyboom, he's a top 50 in most prospect lists. And Valera, too. But I've tried not giving up the elite guys. I've still got guys in my farm. If I need to make a move, I feel like I can. Or if not, at least my farm's not bare right now. Yeah. No, yeah. So we'll see. I, you've got a ridiculous roster, so I've still got my hands full trying to. I just, as I've been saying, I just want to sit at the big boy table. <laughs> That's been my thing. We've got a couple of you guys that have been at the top the last few years, and I'm just trying to get near it. Everybody, uh, everybody's been coming after Dylan Carlson. I yeah, still ha- I still haven't traded him. No, and I know you. I know you well enough to know you're not going to do it until you get the right deal. Oh, man, I tell you, I had I had one. I'm not going to mention what it was on here, but I had one that was probably crazy. I didn't do it. Yeah. I'll just say that. I'll just say that. It's pretty nuts. But, you know, I think you and I talked a little. I don't remember specifics, but you brought up a good point. When you've got a roster like you do, and you, it doesn't look like you have a really desperate need right now. And Carlson will be up early in the season, most likely, so it could be helping you. But if not... I mean, wait and see where you got a need. And I think that's really smart advice. If you've just because you have a prospect and are competing, you don't have to trade him that offseason when you don't know what you might need. I mean, you could have Trey Turner. You got Trey Turner on that team. If he goes down with an injury, you need speed. And you know yeah. what? You've got you've got a piece right there that can get you a a major player back. Yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look, but I have a feeling I'm gonna be in on Carlson and redraft. I just have yeah. to see. I have to see where he's priced at and stuff like that. But I don't know. I feel pretty good about him coming up and just kind of hitting the ground running. I yeah, I just feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I'd like to look that up. I need to look that up before our next episode. I'm curious to know what his NFBC ADP is too, because yeah. I don't think he's got like this buzz that he's going in the top ten rounds or anything. And if he's going mid late rounds of redraft leagues, yeah, I could definitely get in on that. I remember, one. I remember about a month, probably about a month ago, maybe a little less, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a real good owner from 
Rotomasters one and he was talking to me about Carlson and he he was saying he I think he said he was in a draft and hold and I think he said he went in like round nine or ten maybe. Oh my I, I word. It might have been a little later than that. Um but I remember he said he was upset that the guy that he went. And he's like, if I it might have been a little later than that, now that I'm thinking about it. It might have been in the early double digit rounds. But I just remember him saying to me, if I knew Carlson would be up opening day, I'd take him in round seven or eight. That's yes. what he said to me. And this guy is good. Like he knows his stuff. It's um I just thought it was interesting. I, I'm not saying I necessarily agree or anything like that but uh i think there's a chance he's up pretty early so be interesting i'm scrolling through here right now trying to find his name and where he's going i I would love i would guess i would guess it's like found it around 14 or something on 290th overall so you're talking the 19th round 20 20th 20th round yeah yeah yeah, I'm all in on that, that, and I'd, I'm yeah, sure I'm that'll keep that. pushing up. Yeah, yeah, it was. I'd have to check with him to remember exactly when he said, but it definitely wasn't then. It was earlier than around 1920. And I think yeah. it's one of those, as, the, as it gets closer to draft season, it's probably only going to go up. Yeah. It's all, the prospects always move up during the offseason. Early on, it's at one spot, and then it seems like they shoot up. The well, Alex Bregman and Ozzie Albies, those are the examples yeah. I think of. Especially anybody that has any hint of being up on opening day. I mean, like Evan mm-hmm. White is going to fly up. You yeah. know? It just oh, yeah. guy, Guys like that, that, if there's any chance of Carlson or, or any of these guys, not just him, but being up opening day are very early in the season. If there's wind of that, those guys, I mean, their ADP will change overnight. Yeah. Agreed. Well, we'll be back soon. Uh, We got plenty more NFBC to discuss, and we want to do a podcast on Dynasty Buys and Sells sometime this month. And we're also going to discuss that Rotomasters draft and hold league that's a draft that's going on right now. I think we're even going to try to bring in our good friend Chris Winder on for that show since he's the one that set this up. And, Andrew, I think you're going to grill us and tell us about why all of our picks suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll probably, but, probably uh, just talk to you guys about the draft. It'll be a pretty good one. Yeah, I've been, follow- be I've been following it. Yep. Anything else you got going on the next couple weeks baseball-wise? No, not really. Just all these trade talks that are going nowhere. <laughs> I, I feel like I've talked to you about a lot of yours, and yeah, you've had a lot of talks and not many deals yet. Yeah, nothing too crazy yet. Figure That's out all right. the uh, yeah. Usually, usually around this time is when I get the constitutions kind of refreshed for the leagues, and once we hit January first, it'll kind of like turning the page, you know. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It's January 1st, people really seem to turn their focus even more. But that said, our downloads up, were up significantly this last week. So I think some people are already seeing their fantasy season come to an end in football and they're switching over. So if you're, if any of you guys are new, glad you found us. <laughs> okay, well, 
I don't have anything else. So I guess until next time, take care, everybody. Yep, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 